because people are still talking about it to this day, saying it's their favorite book ever. And I don't understand. I'm afraid people are going to hate me. (laughs) Hey, readers, I'm Ann Bogle, and this is What Should I Read Next, episode 170. Welcome to the show that's dedicated to answering the question that plagues every reader. What should I read next? We don't get bossy on this show. What we will do here is give you the information you need to choose your next read. Every week, we'll talk all things books and reading and do a little literary matchmaking with one guest. Readers, this week I'm chatting with Anna LeBaron, author of the memoir, The Polygamous Daughter, about how literacy kept her going through a difficult childhood and how, as an adult, she turned being an author's biggest fan into a full-time career. You'll also hear how nonfiction put her dearest fractured relationships back together again, her tips for being a patron of the arts on a budget, and the redemptive nature of memoir writing. Anna asked me to pair her with some novels that would convince her fiction isn't a waste of her time, and that's a responsibility I take very seriously. Let's get to it. Anna, welcome to the show. Thank you, Anne. It's a pleasure to be on the show with you. It's always a pleasure to get to talk to guests about their reading lives, and today I'm excited to dive into yours because I know what you read professionally, but I don't know what you read personally. But we're going to talk about your professional reading life as well, because you have a very interesting, it's fair to call it a business, right? Yes, it's my business for sure. That revolves around the world of books and reading. Also, you're an author in what has become, and I'm wondering how you feel about this, a very popular genre. You've had great success telling a very personal story. Yes, let's talk about all of it. (laughs) We actually got to meet in person this fall at Monkey and Dog Books in Fort Worth, Texas. And when we were there, you gave me a copy of your memoir, The Polygamous Daughter, which I have been looking forward to reading for a long time. And when an author puts a signed book in your hands, you bump it to the top of the list. So thank you again. I thoroughly (laughs) enjoyed reading that. You know what people mean when they say they enjoyed your work, right? Yes, I do know that. I found it riveting. And I'd love to hear in your own words what it's about and what inspired you to put that story to paper? Well, I have been speaking and sharing my story publicly since 2007, talking about my uh, escape from the violent polygamist cult that I was born in and raised in. I escaped when I was 13 years old. I had a situation where my half-sister that was on the verge of getting out of the cult as well, she took me in and finished raising me. Part of that was she enrolled me in a little Christian school where I came to know Christ. And the piece of that that um, I wanted to share with my readers was the journey to freedom that God put me on that I didn't realize I was on, but God knew that had been decades in the making. And so I share with the reader my upbringing and some stories about that and things that happened to me that were traumatic. There was, you know, all the abuses you are probably imagining. And then the neglect that we experienced shaped and formed me. I talked about the ways that God plucked me out of that life and set me on a new path where I could become the person that He created me to be. And so it's just been a joy and a pleasure to share with my readers and to those I get to speak to how he transformed my life. Now, many authors say 
that the experience of hearing readers respond to their work is a privilege and one of the best parts of the writing life. And people say this when they're writing novels invented out of whole cloth, but you're telling a very personal story. It is the most rewarding part of becoming an author and sharing my story. People feel comfortable sharing their hard things with you. Those are the letters I get. Those are the emails and the private messages I get from the readers who have had all of their private stuff come up and bubble up from having read my book, bearing their burden with them, the thing that's been inside of them for so long. That's the thing that's the most honoring. I would imagine you get some very difficult letters. Yes, I do. People that have experienced similar things, though not polygamist or whatever, just you don't have to be born in a polygamist cult to experience trauma, abuse, or neglect. Those are the kinds of things I hear about. Anna, how do people find your book and find their way to you? It's everywhere books are sold and on Audible. I got to read the Audible edition of my book and I had to audition to read it, by the way. (laughs) Did you want to read your own book? Because a lot of authors don't. I would have been just fine letting someone who was trained and knew what they were doing read my work. But because I talk to you every week on this podcast, people know my voice. And they would object to being read the book in somebody else's voice, especially one very heavy on the um, first person. So that's how I ended up reading mine. Did you want to read yours? Oh, I absolutely wanted to read my book because I wanted the emotion of it, the gravity of it, and the names and the pronunciations Mm -hmm. of words. I, I speak fluent Spanish. And so I got to say the Spanish words that I use in the book correctly and Being able to do that work did something for me on the inside, being able to talk about it in that way and not have to hear my own story in another person's voice. I can appreciate that. I felt so cheated when I got halfway through Tara Westover's memoir, Educated, and realized it wasn't her. And of course it wasn't her. And yet I felt like it should have been. Yeah, that book is on my TBR stack. So it's another escape memoir. Do you enjoy reading works like that? Or do you feel like been there, done that, don't need it? It's very triggering for me to read them. But I also have done enough professional counseling that I can do a lot of self-care. Just knowing other people have had similar experiences makes you feel like you're not alone. I mean, I have all my siblings and they're all out of the cult. And so we do have this people group, very large people group that know my story. It's so healing to be able to talk about it with people who understand and who have experienced those similar kinds of things. And so reading those types of books is part of my healing journey. It just involves a lot of self-care while I'm in the process of reading. Anna, something that I just realized about your personal life and work was that the journey of writing The Polygamous Daughter changed your work life as well. Would you tell me a little bit about that? I uh, came to be agented and my agent told me that authors have to market their own books. You know, the publishers do some of the work and they obviously want the book to do well. And so they do all of their stuff. But long after the book has been released, an author has to continue marketing and selling their book. And so I had a 17 year career in sales and marketing. I loved social media. So I went about learning about this thing that I had heard about called launch teams. My friend had been on one and from the inside of this exclusive 
uh, Facebook group, she was telling me what to do about a book that she was helping launch. So I was doing the things she said, posting a picture of my book and talking about it on social media and posting favorite quotes. I applied to be on Jen Hatmaker's launch team in 2015 for her book, For the Love. And about three days later, I got an email from her publisher saying they had 5,000 people apply for 500 spots. So 4,500 of us got this email saying we weren't selected. I took the four sample chapters that they had emailed us, devoured them, and then tweeted Jen Hotmaker, let her know that I was one of hashtag the 4,500. That hashtag went viral on her Twitter feed. A Facebook group was formed. 1,300 women joined this Facebook group. And so based on the three things I knew about launching books, I went to this group of women and said, Jen Hatmaker's not the boss of us. We can launch this book if we want to. (laughs) Basically just went rogue, telling them, just read the four chapters and quote your favorite things and we will find the 500 because they're going to quote the whole book and hashtag everything for the love. And we can find their stuff and share and retweet. And we just went nuts from March until the book released in August. And that's a very long period of time to be going nuts about a book. (laughs) And the book came out on the New York Times bestseller list. Then we were basically going, okay, now what's next? I still did not have a book contract for myself and for my book. And so one day I woke up and was doing my quiet time and God spoke to me and said, start your launch team, call it the 4,500 launches, promote other first-time authors while you're waiting for your turn. So I was said, okay, um, oh, wait, this means I get a turn? Oh, I'm all in. <laughs> so <laughs> said, okay, and I started the group. And then a week later, I'm scrolling on Twitter and see that there's a new memoir coming out in January. I tweet the author, ask if she has a launch team. Because I'm thinking you get free books when you're on a launch team. Plus, I love memoir. I didn't know this at the time, but the author of that book was my cousin, Ruth Warner. And so we managed to make this connection, which turns out to be a really divinely appointed thing for our family. Because Ruth Warner's father was also a polygamist. My father was too. Her father had nine wives and 40 plus children. My father had 13 wives and 50 plus children. So between these two men, there's a hundred children. My father was known as the Mormon Manson because rivals and people who tried to escape his cult, he would order hits on them. The first hit he ever ordered was on Ruth Warner's father, his own brother. So Ruth was three months old and I was three years old when that hit was carried out. Our two families, all these cousins, had not spoken in over four decades since that event happened. So we very privately connected through private messaging on Twitter. And then I asked her after she mailed me a copy of the book, the advanced reader copy. We talked on the phone for hours one day. And then at the end of that conversation, I said to her, well, let's get back to the original question. Do you already have a launch team? And she said to me, what's a launch team? And I knew right then I was going to launch her book for her. Ruth's book was a competing title, and I still didn't have a publishing contract. I just knew in my heart, I'm going to do this with every ounce of my being. And I did. We formed a launch team early November. Her book came out early January and became an instant New York Times bestseller. I knew after two bestsellers in a row, 
I think I have a knack for this. <laughs> so while I'm launching my cousin's book, I get an email from my agent that a publisher wants to talk to me. I ended up getting a book contract and, and my book eventually did come out in March of 2017. I've been launching other authors' books ever since. It is my favorite thing to put the right book into the right pair of hands. How do you know which books are right for you to take on? When you become an entrepreneur, at first you just say yes to all of them. But really, truly, I feel like there is an audience for every book that's published. Even if it's just your mother or your aunt that wants to read your book. I mean, that's kind of extreme. Just even if I'm not the right audience for the book, to me, that doesn't matter. Books have shaped my life and books have mentored me from childhood. Being able to read saved my life. Tell me about that. We moved around so much as children and sometimes we would be put in school and sometimes we would not be in school. Whenever we were in school, school was a refuge for me. It was a respite from the chaos of my uh, family life. Because I could read, no matter how much school I had missed, being bumped around and jumping around from school to school, as long as I could read, I could catch up, I could figure out what to do and learn. Learning and books are what opened my eyes to the world around me, that there was something more, something different. It gave me this appetite for the world that I did not know growing up, that there was a good world out there because we had been raised with so much fear that the world was evil and the people out there were evil and just wanted to tear us apart and, you know, put my father in prison and which they eventually did. But it gave me something to look at and see when we were not allowed to look at and see the world around us. So I was a voracious reader. Also, my mom was a voracious reader. She loved Harlequin romances because she's in a polygamist relationship. So that's a dichotomy that we could talk about probably a different <laughs> time. <laughs> but my mom was also a voracious reader. And so every city that we would move to, she would go and apply for a library card. I would go in, check out 20 books because that was the max, read through them, run them back, check out 20 more. Um, I remember getting chapter books and then talking to the librarians. And I mean, just that whole process was the thing that opened up my eyes and my heart, that there was a good world out there waiting for me. So now it's your job to continue the cycle. Yes. And that's why I say putting the right book in the right pair of hands. That's why I love what you do so much, is you put the right book in the right pair of hands. I sure do try. And Anna, you're still a voracious reader, are you not? I always have a book with me everywhere I go. Never leave home without a book or a snack. Never. That's our mantra. <laughs> yes. Now, you get a lot of books from your work delivered to you for free, but you buy a lot of books too. I have a stack of books that are waiting for me. And then I see the next shiny one that comes across my feed, you know, or I hear about one that's going to come out next year. And all of a sudden I've pre-ordered the dang thing. When you start the support group, I will be there. I know. <laughs> And so for people that um, buy a lot of books and sometimes buy books that they don't end up reading because the TBR stack gets too high, 
I tell people all the time, you are a patron of the arts. If you buy a book, even if it never gets read, you don't have to donate billions of dollars to the ballet or the opera to call yourself a patron of the arts. You buy that book from your friend that published a book, even if you're not the target audience for that book and you give it away or you share it or you donate it to the doctor's office or whatever, you're a patron of the arts. Wendell Berry had some eloquent things to say about how eating is a political act and how you choose to spend your time and your dollars really makes a difference in the kind of world you will live in as a result. This is very true with where we spend our money in other ways as well. Every author, even aspiring authors, you know, if they're newly published, they need those friends and family members that will support them pre-order that book. I think a lot of people don't understand what exactly pre-ordering a book does for the book. Oh my gosh. Pre-ordering a book is so important to authors. Pre-orders are used as a gauge for brick and mortar stores, where they're going to add shelf space for that book or not. How many books Amazon is going to have on hand on launch day. All of these things are decided based off of pre-orders and where those pre-orders are coming in, which part of the country. And when you have a favorite author that has a book coming out or a new author you know of that has a book coming out and they say, it's available for pre-order, the kindest thing you can do is just click and pre-order that sucker even if you have a really tall TBR stack. What's the state of your TBR stack right now, Anna? Oh my gosh. Stacks, plural, I assume? Stacks, plural, all over my house, my bedroom, sometimes in my bathroom next to my tub, my office, my living room. I couldn't even count right now, but it's the best problem to have. Are you ready to talk about what you've been reading? Yes. Okay, Anna, you know how this works. You are going to tell me three books you love, and I'm so curious about what and how you picked, Mm -hmm. one book you don't, and what you've been reading lately, and we'll talk about what you should read next. Okay, the first one is Dallas Willard's The Divine Conspiracy. I talk about that book and quote him in my book just because of how much he shaped my spiritual life in that season when I read it. You know, they say don't judge a book by its cover. I selected this book off a friend's bookshelf because of the cover of how beautiful it was. The spiritual implications of my life shifted and changed as a result of reading that book. What's another book you loved? The other book I loved, I picked up in the airport when I had a delayed flight. It's called The Rhythm of Life by Matthew Kelly. I had never heard of him before, and I've not read any of his other books. I would love to someday just kind of go back and read some of his other stuff. But that book, it was at a time in my life. I talk about this time in my life in my book. I reconnected with some family that had been on the dark side of our family doing horrible things to other people. And we had disconnected for good reasons for decades During this period of time, I had reconnected with them, and it was safe to do so. But these were siblings of mine, sisters, that I hadn't seen since we were children. And now we're all grown adults with children and families of our own trying to navigate our way back into a relationship. I suggested it as, let's read this book together. One of the exercises the author has you do is make a list of your dreams and wishes and things that you want for the coming year, and then seal it up in an envelope and not look at that for another year. And so we did that. We all got together. There were seven of us. We wrote our dreams out. 
We sealed them. And then I moved away because of my work. The following year, we decided to come back together and read our letters. We began doing that every year. And we've now done that for 10 years in a row. That just simple act of getting together, reading last year's letter and laughing and crying and, you know, talking about what happened and what didn't and what's changed, connected and bonded seven of us in ways that we could not have imagined because of that one exercise that the author suggested. That spurred you to action. Yeah. Wow. In the airport. In the airport. That's incredible. Okay. It also shows that you latch on to good ideas when you see them and that you can really follow through on things, Anna. I love how books um, shape my life. The, all the books that I've read, I could probably tell you one little nugget that I learned and applied. Okay, Anna. what about your third favorite? The third book is called Think Differently, Live Differently by the author Bob Hamp. Um, I also talk about Bob Hamp in my book because of his class that I attended in 2005 called Levels of Change that changed my life. And so I showed up at this class at church. He's a licensed marriage and family therapist who also helps people grow spiritually because of the way he teaches spiritual principles. And so when his first book came out, Think Differently, Live Differently, I mean, I voraciously devoured it. The next one came out, Think Differently, Lead Differently. And then recently, his third one came out in this series, Think Differently, Learn Differently. And that book is for anyone who wants to teach when transformation is the goal. And that's something that I've learned from him. And in my speaking, I've emulated and done the thing that he teaches. Transforming lives is my goal. Nobody needs more information. Transformation is what people want and long for. And that's what I've wanted for my life. I pressed in to that whole idea of the ways he teaches spiritual things. And it literally allowed my heart to connect to the Father heart of God in a way that because I grew up fatherless, I had not experienced in my entire Christian life. And all of it's recorded and on the internet. You can access it for free. The things that transformed my life so much. Anna, tell me about a book that, in your words, disappointed you. I had a hard time deciding which book because I love books so much. There's not one that I actually hate, but one that I read that was just so devastatingly disappointing to me was Redeeming Love by Francine Rivers. This is a book that people have strong opinions about. I mean, this is I a book know. that people ask me specifically on book tour. Have you read this book and what do you think? Yeah. So you've read this book, Anna. <laughs> Tell us what you think. I read it a long, long time ago. It was so hyped up by all the women in the Christian circles that I was running in, little, you know, small groups and Sunday school class, you know, <laughs> people saying, you have to read this book. You have to read this book. And so I finally got my hands on it from the church library. I stayed up all night reading it the night before it was due back at the church library. <laughs> I got to the end because I kept thinking, when, when, when is this life-changing like thing that's going to happen in this book? And I got to the end, and I turned the last page and just went, I don't understand this. What were they so crazy about this book? 
I don't know, did I miss it? Did I read it in the wrong phase of my life? I don't know what happened because people are still talking about it to this day, saying it's their favorite book ever. And I don't understand. I'm afraid people are going to hate me. (laughs) So maybe I'll say it's because I don't read a lot of fiction. Now I think you're just being polite though. No, no, no. I really don't read a lot of fiction. And here's why. It almost feels like a waste of time to me. Oh, now people really are going to hate you, Anna. I know. I'm kidding. No. Yeah, tell, tell me the thing. I have read um, a couple of different fiction books because of this book launch thing that I do. Mm-hmm. So I've read other people's fiction and am open to this experience. And when I get into it, it's like, oh, these books are great. But from where I'm sitting, I feel like maybe because I had so much growth that needed to happen because of my upbringing. I feel like maybe I take myself too seriously and I take life too seriously sometimes. And there are times when I've said about myself that I'm too practical for my own good. And I think in my reading life is one area where I'm too practical for my own good. I read for my work and I do enjoy reading for my work, but it's always self-help, almost always. That's interesting. Okay. So I can tell from the books you love that your Christian faith is very important to you. And we see that in your picks. Yes. But it doesn't mean necessarily that you're going to enjoy a book written from that perspective. Thus your disappointment with redeeming love. Right. And fiction has been challenging for you in the past. Is there a novel that you have really loved and enjoyed just off the top of your head? I read Where the Red Fern Grows when I was a kid and bawled my eyeballs out. And here's why I think I love that book so much. I had grief stored up inside of me, and that book allowed the grief to come out. And so I would find myself going back and just reading the last three or four chapters and bawling my eyeballs out again and again and again. So that one beloved by me. Okay. You might be back on a lot of people's good list right now, Anna. I know. (laughs) I hope so. I don't know what it's going to be, but we're going to find you a novel to at least try. I am open. I'm going to make a case for it. Okay. What are you reading right now? One is Shannon Martin's The Ministry of Ordinary Places. Her publisher hired me to launch this book for her. I got to about the middle of it, and I had been invited to speak at a children's home that houses teenage foster children that can't be placed. And so I had been invited to speak to these teenage kids about the power of storytelling. I went there, and when I pulled up and I looked at this children's home and said, this is your ordinary place. And I knew that I needed to volunteer. So I am now volunteering at this children's home because of this book. So you like transformation over information? A hundred percent. Okay. There we go. Yes. Okay. So other book on my uh, list is, I think you're wrong, but I'm listening. My favorite thing about this is I've been talking to the authors about how to get the word out about this book ways to engage with their audience, because they're both first-time authors. Um, I just got word this morning that pre-orders completely exceeded the publisher's expectations. So it's just so much fun for me to be a part of this. This book is so needed. Are there the hosts of the podcast, uh, Pantsuit Politics? And it's two people that don't see eye to eye, but they managed to find a way to speak and talk about the issues respectfully to one another. It's by Beth Silvers and Sarah Stewart-Holland, who was a guest on this podcast back in episode 43. 
Anna, what do you want to be different in your reading life? Well, I would love to have a way to engage with fiction in a way that doesn't feel like a waste of my time. And I realize that's about me because I need to figure out myself and and get my heart right where I can enjoy fiction. It is about you, but it's also about the books you're choosing and how those interact with each other. I think reading fiction can be an amazing use of time, but do I still read novels where I think that was a waste of my five hours? I do it a lot less than I used to, but I still do it because it really, what you said, it's about matching the right book with the right reader. However, I do think, man, we are all ducking from rotten eggs this episode. I do think that some books lend themselves to being read is entertainment and it's rarer to find a book that will be transformative, that speaks sometimes very gently and very subtly, but it's harder to find a book that speaks to issues that really matter to us as humans. And so I hear what you're saying about how you are too practical for your own good. Yes. However, if you know that that's how you approach your reading material, well, let's choose books that are going to make you feel like that reading time was time well spent. Thank you. That's that's what I need. No, we could spend a long time probing which books are going to be likelier to do that than others because so much of the reading life is trial and error. Yeah. Not throwing darts, but trial and error. You you try something you haven't before, you see how it goes for you, you subtly adjust and you choose again. And you've done that over and over and over with your nonfiction picks, mm-hmm. but you haven't done that so much with your novels. But this is a skill and you can build it. So I'm going to be transformed like just by reading fiction and learning a new skill. Just by, just (laughs) by reading fiction. But fiction is trickier because if you want to learn about time management, you look for time management books and you go pick them off the shelf. Right. If you want to read a novel that gently probes a tender relationship buried in your past, you can't search for that. If you do search for that and get a title that sounds promising, often what you'll get, if that's how you're searching, is a book that falls more under entertainment than transformation. And we are speaking in very broad brushstrokes here. So this is dangerous territory to talk about these things in like a 45-second overview. I do think that it can be harder to deliberately seek out the fiction that itches the place we're trying to scratch. But that doesn't mean that just because we don't know what we're getting going in, that it won't be worth it. All right, Anna. I'm really curious to hear what you think about the books I have in mind for you because I feel like I really need to go out on a limb here. The books you enjoy are different from the books you're interested in trying. You already have tons of books that you're reading professionally and that you're drawn to personally, self-help, especially Christian self-help. So I'm going to leverage out based on the fact that you like transformation, which again is very hard to just Google give me a book that will transform my life. Give me a book that will change my life. I mean, that really depends highly on the person, but we have gotten to talk today. And with these things in mind, I'm ready to, all I can think is give it a spin, but is that really how it works metaphorically? I don't know, but I am so (laughs) curious what you're going to pick. And I feel like I'm a hard case. Like (laughs) I'm ready. All right. The first pick, we're going to do a companion. I feel like we need to get the escape stories out of the way. Based on what you said, I'm very curious to see what you think of these two. 
Okay. Okay. The first is by Sia Sunrise Person. It's called North of Normal, a memoir of my wilderness childhood, my unusual family, and how I survived both. Is this a book you know? I've never heard of it. It came out in the last five years, and it's often draws comparisons to The Glass Castle and Wild. This is person's story about growing up in a dysfunctional family that was countercultural to the extreme. They lived in the Canadian wilderness. They wanted to opt out of society. They lived a clothing optional life. There was lots wow. of pot and free love, and they lived under a canvas tent, and they didn't have the things that you and I know is normal to our experience, like water and electricity and heat. And again, this is in the Canadian wilderness. So is this a memoir or is it fiction? This is a memoir. Okay. I think reading a genre that you know well in a situation that I imagine you don't might be interesting. I do enjoy reading about other people's lives where they've experienced a different way of growing up and relating to the world. Okay. Now talking about ways of growing up and relating to the world, the survival story on the fiction end of the spectrum I'm curious about is Kristen Hanna's novel, The Great Alone, that came out last year. Is this a book you're familiar with? I'm familiar with it. I've seen it everywhere. I haven't picked it up. This is also a very outdoorsy pick. I didn't really realize that when those two sprung to mind. It's set in Alaska in the 70s. It's told from the perspective of a 13-year-old girl. Her name's Lenny, and her father served in Vietnam. Since he's come back, he is uh, having trouble adjusting to the world. He, they call it PTSD now. At the time, they don't have a name for it. They just know at times his behavior is terrifying. They live in the Pacific Northwest, but when an old army friend of his dies, he inherits his homestead in Alaska, and the family takes this as a sign. Like, it can be a fresh start. Let's go. But in Alaska, it's cold, and for much of the year, it's dark. And when winter sets in, the PTSD kicks into high gear and her father becomes someone who is terrifying to live with. So this is a dark novel. It's very tense because you never know what's going to happen and you feel like Lenny is constantly in danger. But it's set in this tight-knit, rugged community in rural Alaska. Lenny and her mom, they make some friends that are really characters, especially strong women. And the way they make a path where there seems to be no path forward and the way they find friendship and support and hope from unlikely places makes it a story that is dark without being most of the time bleak. It's a long book. So if you feel like fiction might be a waste of time, I don't know if 500 pages is the direction you want to go in. But what a book like this does and what fiction can do is it can take this abstract idea. Okay. Somebody has PTSD. Somebody lives in a house that's unbearable. You know these things in the abstract, but what does it feel like to walk those things out? For many readers, that's the kind of thing that a novel like this can, can really do. It can take you inside it so that instead of just knowing it intellectually, you can experience it on the page. Yeah. This might not be the kind of thing you want to experience on the page, but then again, it might be. I'll let you be the judge. Okay. So that one is interesting because of the counseling work, the professional counseling work that I have done to overcome my past and the ways that my life was impacted by my family of origin. I was diagnosed with anxiety triggered by post-traumatic stress. But if I choose this one, I would do this with a lot of self-care involved. Like I said about those uh, kinds of books. I am happy to hear that. I mean, I assumed based on the description that, oh my, that would be a given. 
Yeah. So I'm excited about this one. Okay. You already read it in love memoir, but I'm going to drop another one in your lap because I really want you to, uh, basically I want to go to book club with you so we can talk about this together. Oh my gosh. Let's do this. Okay. This one came out in January. It's by Danny Shapiro. It's called Inheritance, a memoir of genealogy, paternity, and love. And I actually talked about this on the podcast last year once, but I think it bears repeating and you will hear why. Have you read anything by Danny Shapiro? No, I have not. Oh, I really love the way she writes personally. She manages to be reflective, thoughtful, and never boring. And that can be a tricky combination to hit on. Hourglass is my favorite previous work by her. I'm going to need some time to sit with Inheritance, but I think there's a lot to like in this for you. And this is a memoir? It's a memoir. Here's the story. At this point, Shapiro has been writing for many years. Very recently, this happened, I believe, in the spring of 2016. She does one of those, you know, 23andMe DNA tests. She gets the test results back, and she finds out that her father is not actually her biological father. In the course of comparing results with family members, well, she's not sure what to think. Because her parents are now deceased, they're not here to speak for what happened then, and this is her story of piecing things together. Wow. Right. It's a lot to find out when you're 50 years old that the foundations on which you've understood your life have been false. So this is the story of her journey, both inwardly, but also outwardly, because if her biological father isn't her real father, then who is? And she tells it very gently how she found her biological father and began connecting with the family she never knew. And there's this one moment where I wanted to jump up and cheer. Someone follows her, a stranger, a stranger on the other side of the country, follows her on Twitter, and it changes her life. That's all I'm going to say about this book. Well, I already love it just because of the way uh, Twitter changed my life with Ruth Warner. So I'm already intrigued just based on that. I'd be really curious to hear what you think of her story, the way she tells it, where did I come from and what does it mean in my life is a tale as old as time. But she's telling it through the very contemporary lens of DNA test results and social media and email. And it's a really interesting juxtaposition. And I think she does a great job telling what is already one heck of a story. I'm excited for it. And yes, when you do a book club based on this, I want to be part of that. I'm torn between recommending a rather dark, broody, completely lovely Colorado family story and a much more surfacey, light, fun, gently snarky page turner, something you would definitely read at the pool or on an airplane, but that has surprising depth that might sneak up on you. Very different in tone, but I hope both could make you think about what's happening in your life in a new way. Which direction do you want to go in? I want to go the lighter way. (laughs) (laughs) And here's why. I loved Jenny Lawson's books. Let's pretend this never happened. Mm -hmm. It rocked my world. One, because of the language involved, which at that time I was shocked by and didn't know what to do with. And I was afraid to tell people that I liked the book because of the language and the subject matter, the, the adult subject matter. But the way it was snarky and deep, but also just hilarious, I loved it. And now I'm confessing to everyone that I did. So, <laughs> so yeah, just lay it Your on me because 
<laughs> the secret's out and I might as well just go and join another one similar to that. <laughs> well, I think this one might have an F-bomb or two, but most people describe it as light and sweet. You have chosen What Alice Forgot by Leon Moriarty. Have you ever read anything by her? No. This is my favorite. I think it's a great place to start, whether or not you've already read any Leon Moriarty books. When I read this for the first time, I was totally pinned to the couch, turning the pages, what happens next? Like it was fun to read. It felt light. And then I found myself just like turning what happened over in my mind and thinking about not just what happened in the book to the characters, but about my own life and my own relationships. And I love it when a book can inspire reflection on like, what am I doing here? And why does it matter? The story revolves around Alice, who's 29 years old. She's crazy in love with her husband. She's expecting her first child. But then I think she falls off a bike in spin class, which is weird because she never goes to the gym. And then when she comes to, she finds out that she's actually a 39-year-old mother of three who's in the middle of divorcing this man that she's come to hate. Because she knocks herself out in gym class, she's concussed, and it's completely erased her memory of the past decade. When she wakes up, she doesn't know who she's become or what happened to her happy marriage or anything that's happened these past 10 years, but slowly she has to piece it back together. What's so interesting about this book is that... Researchers will say that most marriages don't end in a moment or with a single event. They just die slowly over time as people grow apart. But because she gets this concussion, it happens in a moment. I think it's really interesting the way with this construct, Moriarty really calls you to pay attention to, are you creeping in one direction or another? Because in what Alice forgot, you don't see the ugly middle, like where they grow apart over time. You don't see the ugliness kind of creep in. You just see them happy and then not. It's a fun read, but it's one that a lot of people finish and go, oh, what am I doing with my life? And I know you like transformative and apparently you like some fun reads sometimes too. Yes. I love that you love Jenny Lawson. Super funny and super insightful at the same time. And while this one isn't, I wouldn't compare it to let's pretend this never happened. It's not that kind of book, but I think it could also bring the really fun to read but also pushing reflection in the same package. I did not pick Let's Pretend This Never Happened. It was my grown son. That book was getting passed around his work and he just happened to read it just for fun, just to engage with his coworkers. And then he brought it to me and gave it to me as a Mother's Day gift and said, Mom, you have to read this book. Um, tell, and then he hands it to me and I'm like, okay, okay, I'll read it. And he's like, there's language, but try to like not get riled about that. And then he says will you just read the first chapter today? And I'm like, oh, there's pressure. Like I have to start reading it today. So I agreed and I did. And then I just couldn't put it down. Pressure from other people helps. <laughs> and thank you, son, for your positive pressure. Anna, these are the books we talked about today. North of Normal, The Great Alone, Inheritance, and What Alice Forgot. Of those titles, what do you think you'll read next? The Great Alone. Well, I can't wait to hear what you think. Thanks so much for talking books with me today. You're so welcome. And thank you for having me on the show and for your uh, pressure to uh, expand my horizons. <laughs> it's my pleasure. Hey readers, I hope you enjoyed my discussion with Anna today and I'd love to hear what you think she should read next. That page is at whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com slash 170, that's 170. And it's where you can look at the full list of titles we talked about today. We list them all out for you right there on the show notes page. 
Learn more about Anna's work at AnnaLeBaron.com. That's A-N-N-A, Anna LeBaron, L-E-B-A-R-O-N.com. And follow her on Instagram and Twitter at Anna K. LeBaron. We have something a little different for you next week. You will hear my in-person matchmaking session with Scottish bookseller Ruth Anderson recorded during my trip to Scotland back in December in Ruth's bookshop. It's a little bit different and a whole lot of fun. Here's a sneak peek. I would quite like in some ways to have a specialist section on that Mm -hmm. fifth century classical Athens because that's one of my own interests. Is that a personal interest or was it professional? Because I did see your barrister's wig in the corner. No, I was a lawyer for 40 odd years, but about 10, 12 years ago, I decided I'd do an open university. Started off being a history degree and I ended up a a degree in classical studies. I took up my classical Greek again, which I hadn't done since Mm -hmm. I was at school, which was... 50 plus years ago, I then went on to do a master's in classical studies and I became really interested in 5th century classical Athens in particular. That is quite impressive. Well, just something to keep me interested, really. I loved her so much and I love her store. I can't wait for you to hear more. Subscribe now so you don't miss next week's episode in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and more. In the meantime, check out the post I just shared about my Scotland trip, including a photo from Ray's shop. Find it at modernmrsdarcy.com. That is my personal blog, modernmrsdarcy.com. We will see you next week. If you're on Twitter, let me know there at Ann Bogle. That is Anne with an E, B is in books, O-G-E-L. Tag us on Instagram to share what you are reading. You can find me there at Anne Bogle and at What Should I Read Next. Our newsletter subscribers are the first to know all the What Should I Read Next news and happenings. If you are not on the list, you can fix that now by visiting whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com slash newsletter to sign up for our free weekly delivery. And readers, there is news coming your way soon. If you enjoy this podcast and want to support it, please share it with a friend, leave a review on Apple Podcasts or iTunes, we would appreciate that so much, or buy or borrow a copy of my new book, I'd Rather Be Reading, for yourself or a friend, wherever you like to get your books. Thanks to the people who make this show happen. What Should I Read Next is produced by Brenna Frederick with sound design by Kellen Pekacek. Readers, that's it for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. And as Reiner Maria Rilke said, ah, how good it is to be among people who are reading. Happy reading, everyone.